Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. How many of you guys think that we are in some really unique times right now? Crazy weird, we don't even know what's going on kind of times. It's so bizarre everything is happening. And there's a lot of people who believe that we are in the last days right now. And maybe we are. Maybe we're not. <laughs> I don't know. There's plenty in the Bible to, to map things out that could make it look like we are. There's also things in the Bible that could map things out to make it that we just don't know. And guess which category I'm in? The just don't know category. We might be. I do know that Jesus taught us that we need to be ready at any moment for the return of Christ. And that we need to be living a life uh, that, that's, that, we're, that, we are, that we feel confidently ready that if he shows up, like he's going to, that, that we don't have any doubts. All right? I mean, there's the parable of the ten virgins and ten of them had oil in their containers and 10 of them ran their oil out, or five of them, I'm sorry, I think it's five and five, ran their oil out and, and then the, the, I forget, I think it was the master came, I, I didn't read it recently, I just remember the concept, but the master came and five of them had plenty of oil because they, they were ready. The other five, they had it for a while but then it ran out and they didn't prepare and then bummer for them because it didn't work out so good for them, all right? So we do need to live our lives ready for that, but here's what I want to say about that. We should be doing that anyway. No matter what time, what season, what epoch we're in, we need to be living fully devoted to Jesus Christ, and uh, I don't know what the time is. Now, I want to say blessings to everybody back there because I know they're right in your line of sight. And I ask you, Lord, that you let people stay focused right here and not back there in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right. Now, I, re- I grew up in a home where, where my dad was, like, waiting diligently for Jesus to come back. And, and I, uh, this was in the mid, in the 90s, the, probably the most of that decade. Um, that was when I was in high school and stuff, and I started getting stoked about the idea Jesus is going to come back one day. Let's get ready for this. And how many of you guys have ever heard of a book that came out somewhere around 1970 called The Late Great Planet Earth? Raise your hand if you've heard of that book. All right. So that book, like it put it on the body of Christ's radar that Jesus is coming back, the Antichrist is coming, that we're, we're going into the tribulation, all that stuff. And... You know, I don't, I'm not going to say that I am a theologian on end-time eschatology, all right? But I am going to say this. I know plenty of the word to know where I'm going to stay balanced with, all right? And I, I don't know. I, I think there's probably some people in here that knows somebody back in that time era that they were so focused on Jesus coming back that they put every egg in, their, in the basket of that that they kind of forgot about preparing for what if it's not time yet. And, and maybe, maybe decades later, some people might have regretted, well, maybe we should have done things a little differently, all right? 
And so we kind of need to live in a dual reality. We're living ready for it to happen in any moment, but we're staying, we're stewarding life as if it could be never in my lifetime. And we're kind of, we're tr being responsible in both realms. Does that make sense? Uh, when, when I was a teenager, we watched a video series and I loved it, even though it was horrible quality that resurfaced, I think it was from the 70s, called The Thief in the Night. Has anybody seen The Thief in the Night movies from back in that time? It's a whole movie series about what if Jesus comes back and people thought they were okay and what life was like without the Christians, without Jesus here, tribulation, and it was scary. How many of you think that God wants to scare people into salvation? as opposed to guiding them with hope and good, good ideas. <laughs> I didn't hear a loud amen that he wants that. And, and then, you know, in the 90s, I think, and maybe the 2000s, the, there's a book series called Left Behind, the, probably the most uh, famous book, uh, novel, Christian novel series that maybe ever came out. And there's just been, there's so much about the end times, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it, it, when it becomes a centerpiece and people are living the entirety of their life on that one thing, let me say that's an imbalanced perspective of what Christianity could be like on this earth. And here's why. Because a lot of people uh, who, who live from that mentality, they're, they're putting all their eggs in that basket and they, they're not doing the stewarding the kingdom on this earth part of it, okay? We still have a responsibility here. Until the day that Jesus would snatch us out of this planet, we have a great commission. Amen? <laughs> Lord, please protect my reputation with anybody that might get offended with me. I, I, I believe, and, I, and I've heard many people say this, that, that because so much of Christianity, especially in the Western Christianity, got so focused on end times that it's like, why? I even heard a preacher one time say, well, if Jesus is coming back, I might as well just rack up all the debt I can and enjoy life because I'm not going to ever have to pay the bill. Like, great idea. He hasn't come back yet, dude, and that was decades ago. Hate to see your, your finances right now. But um, the when people live in the mentality that why should I do responsible things because we're going to get snagged out of here, it creates, it creates things left undone. And guess what happens when, when the church doesn't do its role? The world steps in and takes the reins and takes it in the direction that it wants to. And that's what we've seen happen for decades now is areas, we, we call it the the seven mountains of society, the areas of influence, that God has actually ordained many people to carry the kingdom into different spheres of influence and, and bring kingdom values into it and lead the way. But if people are thinking, why should I do that if he's coming back any time, they're getting conquered by the wrong people. And that's why we have a lot of the problems that, have, that are actually surfacing at a crazy level just this year because of irresponsibility, okay? I have good news for you. It's not too late. I'm going to say that again. I have good news for you. It's not too late. 
it's not too late. Jesus still hasn't come back yet. And, and one of my former pastors, I heard him preach this many times, uh, talking about that mentality of, well, Jesus coming back. And, and he, he often read through Matthew 24, where it talks about all the signs that are the horrible things coming. But the last verse in that section says, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation, to the ends of the earth. That's amazing, because that means that there's still more that's going to be done, so we still have some good time left on this earth. Everybody okay right now? I remember when I was a teenager, and I was so close to the Lord, I, I spent a lot of time with him, and was having dreams and stuff, and I had this dream that I was at my grandma's house out in the yard, and, and I heard a loud boom, and I looked in the sky, and I saw clouds going up in different places, and instantly I knew that was graveyards, that were people were coming back to life, going up in clusters, and I knew by the, by the way I'd been taught that the dead shall rise first, and then us, right? And so I, I, I knew that we were about to get raptured. All of a sudden, I felt this glorious ecstasy, and I really felt it, like in my bed. I felt it, and I started feeling myself lifting up, and I started flying up into the sky, and then I, and I, I went into the tree in her front yard, and then I got stuck in the branches and never made it past that. I was like, Lord, are you seriously giving me a partial rapture? <laughs> I, I think that God loves to have a sense of humor with me because I don't think that will really happen. But. And in that same time era, um, we, we learned that when it talks about Jesus coming back and there's going to be the great trumpet sound, right? And, and so we learned at that time that the, the Messianic Jews believed that the, the different feasts in the year represent different parts of the Messianic um, manifestations and so a lot of people believe that when that happens it's going to be on Rosh Hashanah which is the Feast of Trumpets usually lands in late uh, September I think and so every Rosh Hashanah my dad like he's always so excited about Rosh Hashanah because this is probably the year that Jesus is coming back and and so around that I think it was on that day my brother-in-law who before he got married to my sister uh, he was in high school and he stayed home from school that day, probably pretending like he was sick, but he wanted to pray and just spend time with the Lord. And, and his, mo his mom was at work, and so he decided that he wanted to play a trick on her. So he, he, took, he set clothes out on the floor in front of the shower, with socks, then the pants, and then the shirt, so that when she came home, she'd see that his clothes, when he disappeared, his clothes dropped straight down. And he, and he hid from her. And she came home and saw that, and she started screaming. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but that is awesome. I wish I had that idea. <laughs> Love it. I believe that being kingdom people who, who believe that Jesus said, that my kingdom is in your midst, I believe based on the kingdom of God and God's plan to expand his kingdom on this earth the, and, the, and the promises of God. I believe that we as Christians need to have a victorious eschatology. 
Eschatology means the study of the end times. We need to believe that things are going to get better for the church the closer to the end we get, not worse. All right? There's a lot going on right now. People are talking about, I think the Antichrist is alive and well right now. So what? (laughs) So is Jesus, and he's way better than the Antichrist. People thinking that we're, we're approaching, if we're not, have already entered into the tribulation. Has anything in the Bible ever said that no matter what goes on in the world, that that changes God's promises for his believers? It has not. So God has promised that he's going to provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. He's promised that he's your shield. He's promised he's your refuge. He's promised he's your healer. He's promised he's your deliverer. I don't need to know what's going on on the time scale of history and future and where we're at to think, should I believe the promises of God based on where it lands? Because his promise in his word stands forever. Hallelujah. We, we want to believe in our end times belief that the kingdom of God is advancing. That's what I talked to you guys about the last two weeks. That's one of our core values. His kingdom is still advancing. Hallelujah. That's good news. We want to believe that, that we have been given not only the permission, but the mandate from Jesus to bring heaven to earth. To, to be people who believe that if Jesus taught us to pray a prayer, then he actually intends to answer the prayer. And he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. Does this earth have the kingdom manifested in every way that it is in heaven yet? So doesn't that mean things can only get better if we align ourselves with this truth? Come on. In Acts 1, you guys have heard me say this before. The, the, the disciples are with Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And they're asking him the question, are you going to reveal to us? He said, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? And Jesus said in Acts 1, 7, 8, he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Let's stop there for a second. Because Jesus is saying that question is not really the relevant one. But let me tell you what is relevant. Because it's not about what season it is, but this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. People are saying, when is the kingdom coming? He said, hey, no, you're going to receive power. Stop asking the wrong question. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other other ends of the earth. Come on, witnesses to me. You're going to witness me showing up through you in this dunamis power. Hallelujah. Is that good news? This kingdom is advancing, guys. Started... With one Christian, his name was Jesus Christ, started with one Christian, 
went to 12 Christians, then it went to 700, 5,000, whatever, expanded until over the generations. The whole globe has Christians all over it. His kingdom is expanding. That's kind of cool. Today I want to talk to you guys about another core value that we have right here. And it's called hope in a glorious church. And I'm going to say that again. Hope in a glorious church. I want you to think about that. Hope. Do you have hope in a glorious church? I, I, hear, I hear a lot of frustration. I hear a lot of distress over the condition of the church. And I want to say that Jesus has hope for a glorious church. There's a lot of perspectives I've heard. People are jaded and, and bitter and burnt out, hurting because of other Christians or hurting because of churches. And in a lot of circumstances, it's understandable because there's been a lot of spiritual abuses. I get it. There's other circumstances where people might be bitter or hurt because of unmet expectations. Often unreasonable expectations. Okay? Some common perspectives. The demise of the church and the world. And people are holding their breath for the rapture to come. Get me the H-E double hockey sticks out of this planet. What kind of victorious mentality is that? People feel like the church is losing ground to darkness in this world. I get it. Some people have come to, to believe that they don't need to be committed to church anymore because we're all the body. I can understand that perspective. There, there's a lot of people who have gained an increased understanding of the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom is not just the church. Okay? I get that. However, the church is a crucial and central part of the kingdom. Okay? People have been breaking free from unhealthy imbalances of the church. You know, there's a lot of territorialism, manipulative control, people getting set free from, from being under that kind of thing. Absolutely be free from that. That is not what Jesus' heart is. But that doesn't mean that the church is not important. Okay? Many people have possibly overcompensated to an unhealthy disvalue for the church. And I want to say that if, if at one point everything was all about the church and, and that's like there's nothing else except the church, that's where it used to be. People broke free from that realizing, hey, there's more, there's more to life than just going to church and more than callings than just being a leader in a church team or whatever. Breaking free from that realizing, hey, there's, I, we're all called into our areas of life and, and we're all the body of Christ to come in but kind of swinging so far on this side of the pendulum that, it has, that maybe to some people it's created a disvalue for the church because we don't need that because we're all, let's just do this here and dip here, dip there, or whatever it is. 
and, and lost a, a value, a proper value. And usually when pendulums swing one, one way or far to the other, it's probably off balance. And there's somewhere in the middle where it's kingdom and it's church. Amen. What does God think about the church? Glad you asked. Because I want to tell you a little bit about what he thinks about the church. First of all, he gave birth to the church. (laughs) Do any of you have kids? Raise your hand if you've got kids. If you have kids, is there any way for you to think that they're not important? They're the most precious thing to protect and take care of. Amen? In Acts 2, the church was born. And it's God's baby. Jesus considers the church his body. His body. How many of you are ahead and think that your body is not so important? We'll we'll have to talk about that later if that's you. Jesus is going to marry the church one day. There's going to be a wedding feast. Come on. Right now, where is fiance? He loves the church. The church was God's idea. All right? And I want to take you guys through some scriptures. We're going to talk about what God thinks about the church. And I'm going to read out of Ephesians 1 for start, starting with verse 19. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. Read along with me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. When you hear it and read it, it just kind of doubles it up. All right. This is a run-on sentence, so I'm not going to read the previous sentence, so it's going to sound kind of half at first, but it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power, His dunamis power? Everybody say, His power. Toward us. Everybody say, toward us. Who believe. Come on, say this with me. His power is toward us. Who believe. That's already awesome just right there. But I'm going to keep reading. That power that's toward you is according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead... Everybody say resurrection power. That same resurrection power is to you who believe. Let me continue here. When he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, everybody say enthronement power. That same power is to you who believe. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Jesus ascended off this earth. He was on the natural realm. He ascended above every principality and power and dominion in that second heaven realm that we keep talking about. He ascended to the third heaven realm, where is the throne of God. It says he was seated in in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. Come on. Above all the powers. In other words, 
They're all under his feet. Okay? As a matter of fact, let's read the next verse. It says, He put all things under his feet. Come on. All things under his feet. Where is he seated at? In heavenly places. Right at the right hand of the Father. And all things are under his feet on this earth. So his feet are on the earth while he's sitting, which the Bible says, I believe in Hebrews, that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. That's pretty cool. And all these things are under his feet. And let me just pause and say this. Every spiritual power that's the, that rules territories and tries to control governments and cultures and society and all these things that is stirred up, like there's, there's craziness going on in the world and we're seeing it. We're seeing manifestations of it, right? You just turn on the news, you see it all the place. Anything that doesn't look like the kingdom of God is being ruled and driven by demonic spirits that are trying to stir up hate and dissension and crush people's hope and make people feel like that we have to just accept that as our new normal. Does that sound like the kingdom of God? All those things that have influenced that stuff are under Jesus' feet. Hallelujah. Under his feet. Jesus told us that we will tread on serpents and scorpions. I just said that weird, didn't I? I, I like heard it after I said it. Serpents. I don't know what those things are. We probably are treading on those too. He said we'll tread on serpents. I mixed serpent, or serpents and scorpions, didn't I? Serpents. Scorpions. Scorpions. We'll tread on those things. How do we tread on them? Except that Jesus has put them under his feet and that we're in Christ. Amen? And it goes on. It says he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church. Now, who is the church? It's his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does God think about the church? He thinks the church is his body. He thinks it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you think that God values the church? You better believe it. And in Ephesians 3.10, it says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, that's the complete multifaceted wisdom of God, might be made known by who? By the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. If we want to see the influencing powers behind the things that... The, we don't love going on in the world right now. Guess who's the answer to that? It's the church. In Christ. Because it says that the manifold wisdom of God will be known by the church to the principalities and powers. All right? I've heard it explained that it's like a diamond that light goes into it and it refracts it in all the directions and it sparkles all over the place with all the colors of the rainbow diffracting it and it's like the fullness of that light is is displayed in beauty and wonder into the environment that it's in and I want you to imagine 
that in the spirit realm, what they see in the church when we are aligned with who Christ believes that we are. They see the glorious radiance of God breaking through the darkness in every place. Come on, guys. What does God think about the church? He's got a lot of trust in you. He believes in you. He empowers you. <laughs> he, he's depending on you. He's got high expectations that greater things are coming. Hallelujah. God, God did not intend for us as individuals to go around trying to bind and rebuke and pull down spiritual strongholds and regions like as an individual. I've got the power to take you down. He intended for it to be the body of Christ, the united family, the, the body in unity together expressing His glory. It breaks down darkness in the region in the spirit realm around us. What would be the devil's biggest victory but to cause the church to, to, to lose belief in who she is? It says in Romans 8, it says that all of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. I want to tell you that the world around us is craving and groaning and in misery, waiting to see the displays of God through His people. It'll never happen unless we become revealed to ourselves first. We've got to know who we are. We've got to know, not just individually, but corporately, and not just corporately, but regionally. We need to know who we are together on every level, that we are the glorified, beautiful, radiant body of Christ. It's the church. It's so important to God. I want to tell you about what God foresees for the church. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. <clears throat> We've, we've been going through this passage in the Destiny Finders class. It says, He Himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying. That's the opposite of tearing down, right? That's, let's, let's speak words of affirmation. Let's speak words that impart grace and lift one another up. Let's build one another for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come together in the unity everybody say unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man come on to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ I want you to envision Jesus right now and I'm not talking about the flesh Jesus that walked this earth 2,000 years ago because when he was in that season of his eternal life, he submitted himself to a finite, limited body. And so when we watch the movies, you see a human, even though he's God, you see a human walking around with a measure of limitations on him because he chose to, by the way, not because he had to. 
But I don't want us to envision Jesus pre-resurrection. Let's envision Jesus post-resurrection who has been fully brought back into his glory, who is the head of the entire body of Christ over this entire earth. He is big, powerful. He holds this universe in the palm of his hand. Come on. That's Jesus. And this says in verse 13 that we are going to come into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's kind of a big deal. Because Satan is shaking in his boots. Because he knows that he's going to get crushed for eternity. And his days are numbered. And this says that we are coming into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's got big plans for the body of Christ. He's got big perspective on who the church is. It goes on, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, that's rampant right now. Right now, we're seeing so many Christians trying to figure out, am I going to believe the, word, the report of the world, or am I going to go back to the foundations of what my Christianity taught me? There's a lot of people who don't even know if they believe that the Bible is, is the absolute word of God, and who are Christians. Now, there, there's, when people are in that frame of mind, it's easy to sway. But that's not us. Right? It's not you. All right? But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I'm just going to stop there and I want to say this, that when Jesus comes back to take the bride home, the body home, he does not see... the church as, as a disproportionate body to the head that he is. Jesus is not coming back so that he can be a bobblehead. <laughs> Big head, small body. He's coming back. He, he's building the church, the body of Christ, to become strong and mature and healthy and powerful and glorious. A lot of people see the church as a big problem, but Jesus sees the church as the glorious bride. In Ephesians 5, everything I've been reading is out of Ephesians so far. It talks about husbands loving your wives, but then it talks about just as Jesus also loved the church and he gave himself for her. if, If Christians are bitter towards the church and have nothing good to say about it, then the Christian is not hearing the heart of Christ. I'm not saying there's not problems in the church. You better believe it. But that's not how God views it. Just the same as when God looks at you, you know you got plenty of problems in your own life, but that's not how Jesus looks at you. He looks at you through a lens of the finished work of the cross. That says that, that you are that you 
the all old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're a new creation. And it says that we no longer look at one another after the flesh anymore. We're going to look at each other through the lens of Christ, which is the fully redeemed version of who you are. And we have so much grace for one another that we're in process. We're still, our, our lives are still maturing and becoming more Christ-like, but God deems us as the finished, full version of the, of the new creation. Amen? So in Ephesians 5, it talks about him loving the church. And it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That means there's problems. That means he's got, that means things need still fixed. But he's not judging the problems. He's loving the person of the bride. Loving the person despite the errors. Just like you. Come on. That he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church. <laughs> Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I want to tell you that Jesus' view of the church is that he cannot wait for that wedding feast. He can't wait. For us to come into the fullness of who he already knows that we are. He's, pre he's presenting to himself a glorious bride. Come on. Everybody say this. To God, the church is glorious. To God, the church is beautiful. It's a good word. Thanks for preaching that one to me. Jesus, the Bible is very clear that God has a value for healthy marriage and that he wants people to marry each other who are equally yoked to one another. <laughs> and Jesus is marrying the church, which means to him the church is equally yoked to himself. Come on. It's not because people can beautify themselves on their own abilities. That's called religion. He's not marrying religion. He's not, he's not working the wrinkles and blemishes out of religion. He's, re, he's working it out of the people, his beloved hearts that he died for. Come on. He, Jesus didn't die on the cross for religion. He died on the cross for intimacy and to reveal to the world the glory of the church. Come on. It's great hope for the church. <laughs> I could read so many things, guys. The, the Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And he, he gives them, before he ascends, he gives his people the Great Commission. By the way, that's your commission too. The commission has not stopped. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's good news. Doesn't matter what era we're in, he's with us all the way to the end. But until the end has come, he says, you're going to go therefore. 
make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say make disciples in the nations. Make disciples of the nations. Which means that Jesus plans on bringing the redemptive power of his kingdom into the nations. To, to build into the, into the structures of the world, the kingdom, to bring redemption. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. There's a lot of political concerns right now. I'm praying into that a lot. There's a lot of craziness going on right now. I'm praying into it a lot. But we can choose where we pray from. I'm, I can either come under it, under the weight of the fear and the anxiety of it, and then, I, then it's like, can I have hope? It's like, I, I want to tell you, if you pray with, without hope, your prayer is probably powerless. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's got to be prayed with faith. All right? We can, we can come under this stuff in distress and try to plead with the Lord to convince Him to do something. Or we can take our place in the heavenly realms and believe that the kingdom is intending to advance in this world and that God needs us to be the conduits and the ambassadors of the kingdom coming into this earth. we got to make a decision. Are we going to believe... The, are we going to come under agreement that the world's going to get worse? Are we going to come into agreement that we can do something to change the environment around us? Because we've made a lot of declarations over the last few years saying things like this, I'm a carrier of the kingdom of God. Everybody say that, I'm a carrier of the kingdom of God. We can say this, and I want you to declare this with me. I am a living, walking, open heaven. I'm seated in heavenly places. I walk this earth while I'm still seated in heavenly places. We can say things like this. I am a thermostat, not a thermometer. I change atmospheres. They don't change me. If we can believe that stuff, we've got to believe that we can make a difference even as things are right now. And, and I've, I've heard so many times people are saying things like, and, and by the way, I'm not pushing a political party and saying this. I'm just talking about facts right now, all right? I'm hearing people say things like, as bad as things are right now, if Trump gets elected, it's going to get worse. The riots are going to increase. And if, if Biden gets elected, it'll probably, that'll cease, but then there's going to be other things, like whatever. And I, now, <laughs> I felt like God put this in my heart today. We get to decide, am I going to agree and vocalize out loud, because our, we have the power of life and death in our tongue. What we declare actually releases power through partnership of the things we say, and we can, we can join the narrative that says that things are going to get worse. There's going to be an uproar. Whatever. Whatever happens, it's going to cause an uproar. We can partner with that, or we can decide 
that we believe our, power, our, our words have power, our prayers and our declarations have power, and that we can actually shift things and shift the environment, shift the atmosphere around us, and watch other people change because the second heaven atmosphere gets dissipated because we're releasing third heaven atmosphere. We can intercede by trying to work against other people and what they're doing and saying, or we can intercede by partnering with what God's saying and releasing that, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says because His Word always wins. Did you guys hear my heart? I, I, my goal today, and I, I am about to wrap up, and we're going to go into some prayer for a few minutes. I just, I've been feeling strong the last few weeks that my goal, or my, my, not my goal, my mission in the moment with, with us, and with anybody who allows my voice to, to influence them, is to, is to cultivate hope when, when the world is trying to sow and cultivate hopelessness. Because I don't want to partner with what the world's saying. I said it last week, that no matter where you go, it's bad news. But the church should be the place where you get good news. That's called the gospel. And we got to believe that the good news of the kingdom overpowers darkness. Let's be a city set on a hill. Let's have a bright torch that we don't hide under a bushel as we cower ourselves out of fear that people aren't going to like us because of it. Amen. And I'm not even talking about political stances. I'm talking about righteousness and kingdom.